I'm a little distracted for a couple of reasons. The first reason is I forgot my glasses at home. So um, if I cannot read very well, I'll just read from the screen, assuming that it'll be up there. Okay, distraction number two is, I mean, I know I'm probably the only person, well, I was going to be sarcastic and say I'm probably the only person that ever gets distracted, but for real, I'm probably the one that's distracted more than anybody in this room, so I can't even make a joke about it. But anyway, um, my oldest daughter, Morgan, just had her tonsils removed last Thursday, and so, and I had to take her back to Florence in two days, and today has been her worst day. Like, she was doing so good, and I guess all in all, she's still doing pretty good, but today, she's like, like her face looks like, oh, and she looks like dark circles under her eyes, and she's like, please don't leave me. I'm like, uh, I will be back, but I have to leave, you know, so she's at home on the couch, seeping into the material of the couch where she's been for days and days, so y'all pray for Morgan. And for me, when she leaves in two days, I don't know which is going to be worse, her leaving, not feeling good, or her leaving me. <laughs> anyway, um, but I, I wanted to tell this um, at the beginning because it's, it's really been on my heart and on my mind um, for a little while. I went to visit a friend that I've had for longer than many, many of you have been alive. Um, <laughs> we were friends when I was about 20, so long time, long friendship there, um, but she has seen some things that, um, you know, she follows me kind of on social media, so she knows that I speak at a place called Celebrate Recovery some, and um, she was like, well, I'm confused about that. How do you get to speak at Celebrate Recovery when you don't have a drug problem and you never have? <laughs> I was like, Ugh. but it was really cool because I got to tell her you know, we all struggle with something. It doesn't have to be a substance problem or something like that. The, the thing about Celebrate Recovery, and this is just like if you ever want to come and join us there, our band plays, and um, it's just a time to be together. It's for people who struggle with anything, fear, pride. You know, they're like so open and willing to admit that and, you know, really want to, really dive in and work on it, and there are substance abuse, um, you know, people who are going through their recovery and that as well, but it's, gosh, it's just for everybody, and so if you ever want to come out and join us, feel free, um, but so I was explaining that to her, and I said, you know, we all have a story, and every story is different, and even though, like, nobody has physically walked my journey like I have, people can relate to it because we all struggle, you know, and so I was sharing some things about my life with her and, and things that I've shared at Celebrate Recovery, and she was like, oh, okay, I see, you know, and so if, if she's watching tonight, hey, I just, you know, <laughs> wanted to say that because it, it ties in because here, you know, we're all not living the life of Noah or James and John and Jesus and Peter, but those journeys that are recorded in this book for us, it, they're so applicable to our lives. Even though we are not fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, there is a lesson in every page of this book for us. And as soon as we started doing the series, no matter what, I immediately, God laid on my heart what I want to share with you tonight. Now, Cass and 
you know, um, Jameson, they like covered a whole book. I'm not doing that. I'm not that good. I'm not covering the whole book. But I have thought about Cassidy's message so many times because in the life of Jeremiah, he was faithful. Even though he never saw, he never reaped benefits or saw the reward of, you know, his faithful living. And we have to understand that following Jesus does not mean that we're just going to have the best life and we're not ever going to struggle and we're not ever going to bury somebody that dies too soon or we're not ever going to get this diagnosis that hits our family head on and, and we don't know what to do about it, you know. That's life. That's the world we live in, and we're all going to have setbacks. We're all going to fail miserably at some point. We're all going to feel like, I, I, can't, I cannot show my face there ever again because of something I've done. You know, you feel like everybody in the room's looking at you. Nobody wants you there. Those are normal things in life. We all just want to feel wanted, seen, loved. But the good news is we don't have to depend on people to see us, to want us, or to love us. Because we are loved by Jesus Christ. And that is told over and over in this word that my grace is sufficient. When you cannot go on, when you don't understand why something's happening to you. I mean, people in Scripture cried out and was like, please, Paul, take this from me. Take this from me. And every time he prayed that God would make it easier for him, he heard, my grace is sufficient. I am all you need. And I know it's hard for us to really grasp that sometimes because we want a person to lean on. And that's fine to have, you know, friendships and relationships and live life with people who can really pour encouragement and truth into you. But at the end of the day, it cannot be Kenny. It cannot be your small group leader. It cannot be, you know, anybody. It's got to be your personal relationship with Jesus that you lean on and you depend on. And so that's what I want to kind of talk about tonight. Um, we, I don't know if we're all familiar with Elijah in the Bible. There, it's kind of confusion, confusing because his friend's name is Elisha. So it's two different people. So Elijah, think of him as, I don't know if he was really older. I imagine him to be a little older because Elisha was kind of like his disciple. He was learning from him. Elijah was the teacher and like, just this great prophet of God. So Elisha and Elijah are walking one day, and he's like, Elijah's telling him, you know, it's almost time for me to go to be, to be taken away. And he's like, why don't you just go on back? And he's like, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. Well, time rocks on, and he says that a few times, like, why don't you just go? It's almost time for me to be taken away. And Elisha's like, I'm not leaving you. But when you are taken, I want a double portion of your blessing. He wanted God to fill him the way that he had seen God fill Elijah. He wanted to be a leader like that and a prophet of God like that. And Elijah tells him, you know, um, if you're here when I'm taken, then you'll receive it. But if you don't see me taken away, you won't. Well, it just so happens Elisha does see him get taken. And, is, and Elijah's cloak is left behind, and Elisha grabs it. And he goes and does the same thing Elijah had done with splitting the water to see if it really would work, you know, <laughs> just in case I want to see if it worked. And it did work. And so he knew that God was upon him, and he really did give him a blessing, and he was going to be a mighty man of God. And so 
Elisha's ministry kind of takes off on his own. And when Elijah is taken, I don't, I'm not going to have this up here, and I don't know if I can see it, but I'm going to try to read it to you. Um, when he's taken, they were walking. This kind of ties into what I want to talk about tonight. Um, in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, starting in verse 11, I'm just going to read two verses. As they were walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress, so he saw the chariots of fire coming to get him. Can you imagine seeing something like that? That's amazing. So all this is happening, and Elisha is just like, oh, in disbelief, you know. And so we just move right on to chapter 6. And what has happened is the king of Aram, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the king of Aram is at war with Israel, okay? And he wants to, like, blindside them and catch them and, like, sneak up on them and all this stuff. So he sends out his little scouts to see where they're going to be. Well, every time his people come back and say, okay, they're here. So you need to move and attack them here. Elisha, God would inform him where, that they were going to, to get them. So Elisha would tell the king of Israel, You've got to move your people. They're, they're coming, they're coming. So he did, this happened several times. Well, the king of Aram is getting ticked off. He's like, okay, we've got a traitor here in this group, and somebody's about to pay. I want to know who the traitor is. And they say, it's, it's not us, it's Elisha. He is the one telling the king of Israel what we're doing. We don't know how he knows, but I'm telling you, he's the one. So he said, okay, I want you all to find out where he's at. He was in Dothan. And so... They, instead of going to find the army, they go to find Elisha to capture him. And so they surround Elisha, okay? That's where we are. Got y'all up to speed, okay? So Elisha has this guy that goes out to check the next morning, you know, just walks out of the tent, looks around, and he sees that they're surrounded. So beginning in verse 8 of chapter 6 in 2 Kings, I'm going to try so hard to read this. Then the king of Aram was at war with Israel. He would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? I mean, what do you think would happen if you were the traitor? Probably would not be seeing the next sunrise. Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. He's like, look. I'm telling you, the guy knows everything, that you're planning everything that you're saying, and it's not us that's telling him. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded. 
so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. I'm a very visual person, so I'm seeing the horses, seeing them stomp their feet, I see the chariots, and I'm just like, you know, just how intimidating that would look. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Elisha wanted him to see what he could see and, and what he had already experienced back when Elijah was taken up. He saw a chariot and a charioteer. Here, he said, there are more on our side than on theirs. And Elijah could see that. And so he prayed that God would allow him to see it too. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. If one chariot could take Elijah up in a whirlwind and nobody ever saw him again, what could a whole hillside of chariots of fire and horses do? It completely changed that whole young man's heart and mind because he saw what was unseen. He saw what he only could have imagined if Elijah had just told him. But God opened his eyes. And when God opens our eyes to the truth that we've been blinded to, it changes everything. As the Armenian army advanced toward him, see, the army couldn't see what they could see. So they just thought it was, they thought they were just about to see Elisha. Elisha prayed again, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. So the, the invading army, everybody just all of a sudden became blind. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you were looking for. Well, they couldn't see him, so they didn't know. I mean, they were just listening to a voice. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Well, who do you think was waiting in the city of Samaria? The Israelite army. That's exactly where he led them. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, Oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. Let them see what is about to happen to them. So the Lord opened their eyes. And they discovered they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, so the king was there. He, he was there. He was witnessing everything. He shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? He's like, okay, we've got them. I mean, we can make the biggest statement ever to the king of Aram. We can destroy his entire army and leave him with nothing. Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. That's going to speak louder than if we wipe everybody out because we could have and we didn't. So the king made a great feast for them. 
and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. That reminded me of when King Saul was trying to kill David, and David had him. I mean, Saul didn't even know that David was hiding in the cave, and he cut a piece of his robe off. And after Saul got way away, he was like, I could have killed you, but I didn't. That immediately made me think about when somebody does us wrong, y'all, we feel justified in anything we decide to do back, whether it's slander them, approach them, tell everything we know bad about them, just get them back because they deserve it. Because how could you come at me like that? I didn't do anything to you. I didn't deserve that. Or it's been an ongoing thing. Or maybe it's somebody in your family. You know, families have all kinds of mess. But Jesus said to love our enemies. In his Sermon on the Mount, he was telling us all these things that we can recite and we learn when we're little. And it's so easy to learn all the things we're, we're supposed to do. But when it comes to really loving an enemy, that's not easy. It's not easy to keep your mouth closed. I struggle with that. If I get mad, it just, I mean, I just, like I have to bite my tongue in half not to say it. It's so terrible. It's my daily struggle, but I'm, I, I really am trying to work on it. But it's, it's a struggle. But anyway, so loving our enemies praying for those who do you wrong, like really praying for them, really loving them. If somebody broke into your house and stole all your stuff and you caught them, you're not going to cook them breakfast at midnight and like sit there and eat with them probably, you know? You're going to want them to go to jail. And I mean, you know, our mind immediately is like justice. Get them, put them in their place make it soft, you know, make it better. But, but Jesus' command to us is to love the people who are really hard to love back. I'm not saying if somebody breaks in your house tonight to cook them breakfast, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when, when it's easy and you can easily talk yourself into getting them back, think again and think, just because I can do it, doesn't mean I should do it. It doesn't make it right. It makes it hard. It's hard. It's hard to forgive somebody who's genuinely hurt you, and especially if they've hurt you on purpose. That's hard to forgive. But it, we're commanded to love, 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 love. And loving our kids is easy. It's not, it's not easy to love people who don't love you back. It's not easy to forgive the people who do you wrong. And it's not easy to keep going when you want to quit. When, when by all accounts, you should be able to quit. But to keep going because you know that Christ is calling you to keep going. I've talked to a couple of people recently um, that really struggle with, why am I here? I don't want to be here. I don't know what to do. I I feel like I'm stuck and I can't get out. And I know that there are people in this room that may not feel like that every day, but they do feel like that sometimes. 
And just like I said in the beginning, we, we want to be loved, seen, wanted, but we are. We are loved and seen and wanted by Jesus Christ. I'm going to overlook people. You're going to overlook me. That's just how we are. Jesus does not overlook us. Jesus does not forget about us. Kenny has told us several times about, you know, the passage in the Bible where God literally has our tears in a jar. If he has our tears in a jar and he says to give every care we have, even the little ones, to him because he cares for us and he knows every hair on our head, that's intimate. That's more intimate than your parents are with you. We can't do that for our children. God formed us before we were born. He was knitting us together. He gave you your personality. He gave you your eye color. It, it matters. Everything matters. Every struggle, every class, every breakup, every dramatic unfolding of a friendship, all that matters. It's trivial kind of in our minds, but God wants to know what burdens you, what keeps you up at night, what what stirs your heart, what excites you. I also talked to somebody two weeks ago or a week ago that questioned if God was real. I know it, I believe it, but sometimes I do wonder. And all I could say was, that's where you having a relationship with God you having a foundation with him on your own and not just listening to what's said up here or listening to a podcast or something like that. Those are great things, and you need that. And you need Christian brothers and sisters to pour into you and encourage you that I'm telling you right now, those things will not sustain you. When you feel lonely, when you feel hurt, when you feel betrayed, when you feel overlooked at church or you know, nobody's checking on you or whatever, if you do not have a foundation in Jesus Christ alone, you will not be sure of if, you, if he loves you, if you are a Christian inside, it, do, do what I have, is what you have an anchor for your soul or is it just a feeling? It can't be just a feeling. If you don't know Jesus on your own, Please, please talk with him about that. And if you do not ever spend time in this word right here, this is, your, this is what sustains you. This is your lifeline. This is like oxygen to your lungs right here. You cannot know God if you do not read about him. How can you know him? How can you just take my word for it? I could say something that was a lie. But if you don't know his word, you don't know if I'm lying. Read this word for yourself. Beg the Holy Spirit to make it so alive to you that you can feel his presence right there with you. Because if you are his child, he's right here. Nobody can take that away. And just like this army... Just like this guy that walked out and all he could see was the insurmountable destruction headed his way. 
We're so focused on everything else. When our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, we cannot see that hillside. There are more on our side than that are not, no matter what you're facing. And the commander-in-chief lives inside of you if you're a follower of Christ. Nobody can change that. No amount of shame, no amount of mistakes, setbacks, or failures can change that either. This word is alive, and I challenge myself. God has challenged me. He has convicted me and just wrecked my heart over knowing that there are people that I'm overlooking that question if he's real. Do I continue to live? Is it my decision to continue to live? Am I really loved? Yes, you're really loved. Yes, you keep going. Yes, his grace is sufficient. Get to know him. Cling to him. And don't ever hesitate to come to me or Kenny or Jameson or anybody else that will be happy to talk to you here. We can show you the truth in this word. We want to show you the truth in this word. Jesus is worth it. And he's the only thing that is worth our praise, our adoration, our loyalty, our worship. Worship is more than a song. It's an overflow of what is inside you, what he has given you. You just want to just give it back. But all we can give back is ourself. But that's all he wants. He don't want our nice clothes and our makeup. He don't want our anything. He wants us. Just the plain, real, raw, ugly sometimes us. And he will open your eyes to what's beyond what you can see. And it will be enough to sustain you all the days of your life. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And you can pray at your seat. You can pray down here. You can sing to the top of your lungs or just stand there. Just know that you are seen, loved, and wanted by the one that matters more than anybody. And there are more on your side than on anybody else's God loves us y'all God sacrificed his son because he loved us and wanted to rescue our hearts and make us alive in him and it changes everything when you're looking through that lens everything is alive everything Father, I come to you right now, God, and I just thank you so much, Lord, for this time. Lord, just to share what you've given my heart, Lord, for so many weeks now, God, just the image of, of us just seeing all around us, no hope, no way out, and just beyond what we can see, you are right on the other side. And you're there with us. 
I thank you for that. I thank you that we're never alone. We're never forsaken. You don't forget about us. You don't oversleep. You don't call in. You're, you're there. You've always been there. And you're always going to be there. Nobody else can say that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, for preserving this word for us so that we can use it as a guide to our life. I know it's dark sometimes, God, but you're the light. God, if we just will focus on you, your grace is sufficient, and I thank you for that. Thank you so much for this time, and I just pray that you will be with each one of us, God, and I pray that we'll examine our hearts, and Lord, we'll just draw close to you during this time. In your name I pray.